Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the love that we share with one another as people who have been loved deeply by you. Uh, Father, we thank you for the gospel that we, we have just sung about. And Father, just such beautiful truths of Scripture. Father, um, the songs are beautiful. The, the words flow together well. But Father, if they weren't true, they would, they would mean nothing. Father, it's the fact that You really did send Your Son to this earth to live a perfect life that we could never live and then die a death that we deserve to die. Father, and, and through our faith in Christ that You would exchange our sin for His righteousness so that we could be covered by the blood of Jesus, having all of our sins washed away, that we could be made new. Not just for a little while, but for all of eternity. Father, that we could go from being enemies of You to being friends of Yours. Father, that we could go from being rejected by You to being welcomed into Your kingdom. Father, it's only because of what You have done for us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You for this Gospel. Father, as we come to this time and this worship service where we open up Your Word and spend a few minutes reading and seeking to understand what Your Word says and how it applies to our lives, Father, I just pray that Your Holy Spirit would speak the truth of Your Word into our hearts today. Father, we pray, we ask that You would help us be obedient. Father, help us to realize that there's nothing that's in this world that's worth being disobedient to You and Your Word for. So Father, I pray that we would cast those hindrances aside by Your help, Father, and we would hear from You. And we would obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, yes, before you start flipping in your Bible and wondering, the verse of Scripture passage is correct. Okay? I'm not going to be in First Peter today. Uh, I'm going to take a pause from that. And uh, don't worry, we're going to pick back up. Uh, but today I want us to go to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts, chapter 2. You ever had a problem in life? Just wanted to ask something we could all say yes to. We could all agree, right? Easy question to get us started out in our time in the Word this morning. Yes, we've had problems. We all have problems. Sometimes they're little things. Sometimes they're big things. Well, when a problem arises in your life, uh, what do you often say, whether to yourself or maybe to those around you? You say, well, what, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? What's our course of action going to be? Why? Because we have this desire within us to correct the problems. We, we, we don't want to live in the problems. As soon as a problem happens, that's why we call it a problem. Uh, if, it, if it was fine with us, if we just liked how, how that was, whatever it was that was happening, we wouldn't call it a problem. But when problems present themselves, we immediately start thinking about a way to solve that problem. For instance... Yesterday, I encountered a problem. Um, we were getting ready to head out to Harvest Fest. And, and by the way, all of you who helped out there from our church, thank you so much. Um, it was an awesome, awesome event yesterday. And I just appreciate y'all. Our church just worked so hard and fixed food for 400 people, just our church, um, and, uh, and then lots of other churches out there. We were getting ready, and I my, I told my wife, I said, Letty, that's my four-year-old. I said, she can go ahead and go with me. She's got to that stage where she can kind of skip her afternoon nap, and it only means she's going to be um, somewhat irritable later on in the day. Um, and, uh, and so I said, well, let's just let her go on with me. We'll go out there. Well, uh, if you didn't walk outside yesterday, it was about 20-something degrees colder than the day, than the day before. And, uh, and so it was a little chilly, and so I, I told my wife, I said, it's kind of cold out there. We might want to put some long pants on her. So, so my wife went and got some long pants, dug them out because we haven't needed long pants um, in, in, in a while. And so, uh, so she put some long pants on, on Letty and uh, 
she said, well, they're, they're a little big, but that's all I can find right now in, in the closet, and they'll work. So we, we leave, and we had to come by here uh, just for a few minutes before we headed out to Harvest Fest, and, and she's pulling her pants up the whole time. And, um, and she said, dang, my pants are falling down, my pants are falling down. I said, well, we, you can't be running around out there at Harvest Fest with your pants falling down. That's just going to be aggravating if you're trying to hold them up the whole time. I said, we get to Greenwood, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go on a hunt for, uh, for a belt for you. So problem for, presented itself, pants are falling down. I said, what are we going to do about it? Let's go find a belt. So we headed off to find my four-year-old a belt. Well, that problem then turned into another problem. Apparently, they don't make belts that fit four-year-old little girls. And, uh, and so we went to one store, and they wrapped around her a couple of times, the smallest ones they had. So we went to another store, and same problem. And we went to a third store, and same problem. And so I said, got a problem. We have belts, but they're too big. What are we going to do? Solution? customize it, right? We customize it. So I bought the belt. Uh, it came in a pack of two. We got out to Harvest Fest. And um, I said, I need to punch some new holes in it. So thankfully, John Kresel, I, I said, anybody got something I can punch a hole in this? He had his little multi-tool with him. Um, and uh, by the way, I said, I said, um, I said, do you happen to have a, a knife or something, that, some kind of punch that I can punch a hole? And, and he asked me a question. He said, do I have my pants on? And so I think I know what he meant. I think he meant that he always has his multi-tool in his pants pocket, but I just wanted to make everybody aware that it could be that he wasn't sure whether he had his pants on or not. So, if you, I don't know more, and we're not going any further. So, anyways, um, back to the, that, back to my problem. Um, he, he, he loaned me his multi-tool, and so I went to work, and I punched a new hole in it, and then I didn't want that thing wrapped all around her, so I got uh, just my straight edge out, and I, I tried to decoratively cut the belt off, the end of the belt, and, um, and when I got home, my wife laughed at me, but I thought it looked pretty good. Um, and, and so I did that, and, and, uh, and that problem was solved, but uh, a little while later, she said, I don't, think, I don't think it's quite tight enough, so I went back and got the tool again, and we punched another hole in it, and I cut some more off the end of it, because each time the problem presented itself, I asked the question, well, what am I going to do about it? What, what, what do we do? And there was a solution. You see, there's a greater problem. In all of our lives, not just that our pants, if we remember to wear them, don't fit all the time. But you see, deep down inside of all of us, there's this problem of sin. And any time we're presented with a problem, the natural response is, well, what shall we do? What shall we do? What do we do with the problem of sin? God, in his mercy, has given us the good news of the gospel of Jesus. But when we hear this good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, it begs the question, what shall we do? What do we do with this good news message of Jesus? And that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2. So if you'll follow along with me as I read from God's word. Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 37 and go through verse 42. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Let me give you this summary truth statement for our time this morning and give you a little background of this passage and then I want to see three truths from this passage today. Here's our summary statement. It's this. When God convicts our hearts through the message of the gospel of Jesus, we must respond 
the way He has instructed. When God convicts our hearts through the Gospel of Jesus, that beautiful message of the Gospel, the good news of Christ, we must respond the way that He has instructed. Now, we picked up right in the middle of a passage, which I don't really like doing. Um, so let me give us a little context. You can scan your eyes back, all the way back really to verse 14 and then on through verse 30, uh, through 36. Jesus at this point has died, he's risen from the dead, and he's ascended back to heaven. And now Jews from every nation have gathered in Jerusalem for a festival called Pentecost. And during the festival, the disciples of Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus had promised would happen. And being filled with the Spirit, they began preaching to the crowd the good news of Jesus Christ, the truth about Jesus. And by God's power is a really awesome story that we don't have time today to get into, but they were able to speak in the different languages of the peoples from different nations that were gathered there so that everyone could understand them as they preached the gospel. Now, beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, we have recorded the words of the Apostle Peter. And he stood up in front of the crowd and he clearly explained that Jesus was the promised Messiah that the Jews, remember that was his audience, there were Jews from the nations gathered, that he was the promise, Jesus was the promised Messiah that they had been looking for. He even quotes several times from their Hebrew scriptures, which is what we know that as the Old Testament, the Old Testament in our Bibles. He quoted from that to prove that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promises to send a man who would be born of woman, who would defeat Satan and rescue God's people through his death and resurrection. We find all of that in the Old Testament, all of those promises. And so he concludes his sermon with these words. You can see in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What a great way to end the sermon, right? Points it right back at them. Know for certain. Remember that word no. Know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, the Lord, the Christ. This is the one that God promised. This Jesus who you just crucified who you just hung on a cross, who then rose from the dead, he's already talked about his resurrection, and ascended back to the Father, he is the one. He explains to them from God's word the truth about Jesus. And the text says, then in verse 37, that when they heard Peter, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. What does that mean? Well, this is Bible talk, Bible language, to, to simply say this, to help us realize this, that these people, as Peter preached this message of the gospel, they were convicted. They were under the conviction of God's word by his Holy Spirit. Now, Peter had the ability to stand up and preach this, but what Peter didn't have the ability to do was cut them to the heart. That's not something that Peter had the ability to do. How then are we cut to the heart? Only God can do that, and he does it through his word accompanied by his spirit. The book of Hebrews says this, For the word of God, here's the word part, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's the word of God that penetrates into our hearts. Well, what about the spirit? In John chapter 16, we find Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit, and he says this. He calls the Spirit the helper, and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. We could talk for a long time about that, but we're not going to. For if I do not go away, he's talking about him ascending back to the Father, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So here's what that means. When the word of God, accompanied by the spirit of God, reaches into a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, the result is that we are 
cut to the heart. And that's exactly where Peter's audience, as he preached this sermon about the gospel of Jesus, found themselves. And being cut to the heart, they asked Peter one of the most important questions in the Bible. They asked him, what shall we do? Now, I would say there's a lot of important questions that we can ask, a lot of important questions in the Bible, but there are two questions that hold eternal significance in our lives. And in fact, both of these questions involve the Apostle Peter. The first question Jesus asked to Peter. While Jesus was here on the earth, Matthew Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked a question and said, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And in that moment, a moment of divine inspiration, because we see right after that, Peter says something really dumb. But Peter answered that question. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're exactly right, Peter. Who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter had the right knowledge. We have to start there. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe that he is the one, the only one that God has sent to this earth to rescue people from their sin? Do you believe the truth about? Do you know that that's who Jesus is? But then we find this second question here in Acts. And now Peter's the one asking this question. He says, Excuse me, answering. I'm sorry. Y'all were fixing to correct me, weren't you? Peter's the one answering this question. He, he's asked, what, 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 what shall we do? What shall we do as he's preached the truth about Jesus? Now, before we get to Peter's response, I want you to notice what he doesn't say. Think about all the things that Peter could have said when they said, hey, what do we do? What do we do with the truth about Jesus? didn't say nothing. Congratulations. You now know the truth about Jesus. Did you pay attention to my sermon? Oh, yes, Peter, we paid attention to it. So now you understand in your mind that Jesus is the one that God sent from heaven. Oh, yes, we understand that. We agree in our minds that that's who Jesus is. Now, what do we do? And Peter says, oh, well, you're done. You know it. You know the facts. You know the information. You know the lesson. If I were to give you a test about who Jesus is, you could make an A on it. You're done. He doesn't say that. But unfortunately, for some people, that's where we stop. We think that once we know the facts about Jesus in our minds... That we're good to go. Do you know who else knows the facts about Jesus? Satan. And a whole list of people here on this earth that are lost and dead in their sins. You can read and study the Bible your whole life and die in the same state that you were born, lost and dead in your sin. Peter doesn't say, well, you're done. You know the truth. No. There is another response. So we want to dive into this response. And as we do, as we do, I want you to see just three ways that Peter gives that they are to respond. Three ways that people who are cut to the heart by the gospel of Jesus should respond. And the first is this, to receive. To receive the good news of Jesus by repenting of sin and believing in Jesus. To receive the good news of Jesus by repenting of sin and believing in Jesus. You say, well, well, they already know. Haven't they received? No, no. In fact, the Bible makes a distinction between knowledge in our minds and actually receiving the word of the gospel as truth for our lives. It's not simply mental assent. It's not knowing the facts that makes us right with God. What does it mean there to receive the word? I want you to skip to verse 41 for a moment because he kind of summarizes all that he says and what happens in verse 41. So those who received his word 
were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Those who receive. Well, what does it mean to receive it? What else do I do with it besides just agree that it is correct? Well, to receive the word means to agree with the truth claim. We have to know it. We have to know about Jesus to agree with the truth claim of the gospel in such a way, though, that I align my life with it. To agree with the truth claim of the gospel in such a way that actually changes the direction of my life. Well, Peter summarizes that with in two ways to repent and believe. How do I receive this word? I repent and believe. Here's a truth claim of the gospel. Jesus came to take away sin. Jesus came to take away sin. And so that means that our response to him ought to be to turn from sin. And that's what repentance means. We see that in, in verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent. Here's the definition of repentance. And simply to turn away from sin and to turn to Jesus for mercy and grace. To turn away from sin and in so doing to turn towards Jesus. Jesus, here's a truth claim. Jesus came to take away sin. Now, how do we receive that truth in such a way that it brings salvation in our lives? We choose to turn away from sin and turn towards Jesus Christ. But that leads to the second part of the response. You can't have repentance without the second part. It's the turning to Jesus part. Well, how do we turn to Jesus? We believe, we trust, we place our faith in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to believe? If it's not simply agreeing in our minds with the facts, what does it mean to place my faith in Jesus? Let me say it this way. To believe in a way that brings salvation into your life means to trust in Jesus as the only one who can and will save you through his death on the cross where he took all the punishment that you deserve upon himself. That's what saving faith means. It's not simply to agree that Jesus did these things. It's to trust that it was enough to save you from your sin. To trust that when he was on the cross, he wasn't just simply dying for sins in general, but he was dying specifically for your sins and for the sins of the world. It's to, it's to believe and trust that God, the Father, will accept the sacrifice of Jesus as a just payment for your sin. It's to believe and have faith in and trust that when you stand before God one day, knowing, knowing that you have a deep problem, you are born with this problem of sin, and there's nothing that you can do to fix that problem, to stand before him, trusting and believing that he's going to say, welcome in to my home because, because here's your, here's your assurance, because Jesus has paid the price for your sin. You're trusting that that will be enough. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is enough. To repent and believe. You say, well, I see the word repent there, Zach, but I don't, I don't see the word believe. Well, I want you to notice, and after he says repent, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, how can you repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus if you're not trusting in him to do the work of salvation, to forgive you of your sins? That phrase, in the name of Jesus, is key. It means that they had believed. They have believed. I wonder today if you've repented and believed. Jesus himself, when he started his earthly ministry, said this. The time is fulfilled. That means all the time in the Old Testament is pointing towards Christ. That time is here. The time is fulfilled. And he said this, and the kingdom of God is at hand. There is a kingdom that belongs to God. And we have been kicked out of it because we are unrighteous, because we sin. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Why was it at hand? Because Jesus the King has shown up on the earth. And here's what Jesus says. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent 
and believe in the gospel. That was what Jesus said to do. So if we're going to receive the gospel in a way that is in obedience to Jesus Christ and therefore be saved from our sin, forgiven our sins, we must repent and believe. What happens when we repent and believe? Notice what he says, this blessing here in verse 38. For the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That means your sins are washed away, they're forgiven. That means God will never hold your sins against you. That's what it means to be forgiven. To not hold the wrong that someone else did towards you against that person. I won't bring it up. I won't hold it against you. In fact, I'll treat you as if you had never done it, even though we both know you did. That's how God will treat us if we've trusted Christ alone for salvation, repenting and believing. He will forgive us of our sins. And he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That means he comes inside of us. God himself, holy, righteous God, will invade our lives, our sinful lives, and he will make us new. The Holy Spirit comes in and he transforms our hearts. He does what only God can do. He fixes our hearts. He fixes the problem of sin. This is the solution, and it is the only solution. We receive forgiveness. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if I could just read one more verse in John chapter 1, verse 12, to think about the blessing that we receive when we repent and believe. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, it's talking about Jesus, because the previous verse said that some rejected him. But it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We, dirty, rotten sinners, get to not only be welcomed into God's kingdom, not just simply as the doorkeeper or the maid or the servant, we get to be welcomed in as children of God with all the rights and privileges that come with being sons of God. I don't know why you wouldn't want that. This is the most important response. Because if you die, listen to me, if you die before responding to the gospel of Jesus in repentance and faith, God's word is very clear that you will spend eternity in hell being punished for your sin. But you don't have to go that route. You can repent and believe. You can receive the word. You can be saved. Now, this repenting and believing is between you and God. It's between you and God. It's it's something that happens in your heart as you confess your sins to the Lord and ask Him, based on His mercy and grace, to come in and save you and forgive you from your sin. It's a very personal response between you and the Lord. Notice even in... In verse 39, he says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. I wonder today if the Lord is calling you right now in your heart to himself. If he is, the only right way to respond is to repent and believe. But once you have received the gospel, once you have responded inwardly by repenting and believing, then you're commanded to respond outwardly. There's an outward expression of this inward repentance and faith in Jesus Christ that we're commanded to. Notice what Peter says. He says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. So truth number two, response number two is this. Publicly identify yourself as a follower of Jesus by being baptized. Publicly identify yourself as a follower of Jesus by being baptized. Listen, listen, when God invades our heart through his power, through his Holy Spirit, and he transforms our hearts and he lifts the weight of sin and guilt and shame off of our lives, off of our hearts. And, and we feel the freedom for the very first time in our lives that our sins have been atoned for and we don't live underneath the weight of them. He God has promised us citizenship in his kingdom for ever and ever, we're going to want to tell somebody. We're going to want to tell someone. And so God has already put in place a way for us to tell people for the first time that we've trusted Christ as our Savior and Lord. And that way is through baptism. What's the significance of baptism? Well, baptism is the biblical 
outward declaration that someone has been transformed by the gospel and is now identified as belonging to Jesus and to the people of Jesus. I'll say that one more time. Baptism is the biblical. Uh, I use that word very. Um, uh, what's what am I trying to say? Um, carefully. Yeah, there you go. That'll work. Um, that's an important word. We'll just say that. That's an important word. It's the biblical. It's not something that we. It's not something that's like somebody or some group of churches just came together and said, you know what? We should think of like this really unique way to kind of set ourselves apart all, apart from other churches, and we're gonna we're gonna do this thing called baptism. No, it's in the Bible. Over and over and over again, it's the biblical outward declaration that someone has been transformed. So it's not the act of being transformed. Baptism doesn't save us. It's an outward declaration that someone has been transformed by the gospel and is now identified as belonging to Jesus and belonging to the people of Jesus. I'm going to ask another question. I'm going to ask several questions real quick. Here's another question. So I say, why should I be baptized? I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this question. I'm just going to give it to you as simply as I can. Because Jesus commanded it. Because Jesus has commanded it. His word commands it. I, I don't, I can't. There are other reasons we could say it's a blessing for you. It's a blessing for the church to get to witness that. All sorts of things. But why? Because Jesus told us. Two, he commanded it. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. If he commanded disciples to baptize disciples, then that means he expects the disciples who haven't been baptized to want to be baptized. He wasn't commanding the disciples who have been baptized to force people to it. He was expecting that people would want to do that. So why do we do it? Because he's commanded it. Well, that leads to two other questions that I want to ask. And, and, and I'm going to answer these as quickly as I can, but as thoroughly as I can. And the next question would simply be this. Well, how should I be baptized? Uh, people believe different things about that. What did Peter mean when he said, repent and be baptized? And when we read in verse 41 that those who received his word, that is those who repented and believed and were saved, were baptized. What did that look like? What happened when those 3,000 people, which we get the number there at the end of verse 41, were baptized? To be baptized means to be immersed under the water, identifying yourself with Jesus Christ in his death, burial and resurrection to be immersed under the water. Let me give you just a few reasons why. Number one is simple, because that's what the word baptized means. The word baptize is a Greek word, baptizo. We don't translate it into English in our Bible. We transliterate it. For whatever reason, okay, a transliteration is where you take the word in another language and you just change a few letters so that it looks like another language, but it's still the same word. You didn't actually give the meaning of it, okay? So it's a trans. All we did instead of saying baptizo, we said baptize. Well, that didn't help us understand what the word means. The actual meaning of the word, if we were to translate it, would be to immerse. That's what that word means. It means to Go under the water and come back up out of the water. Not only because that's what it means, because that's the way we see baptism practiced in the New Testament. It was by immersion. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, when Jesus was baptized, it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. He came up out of the water. We see the same thing with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, Philip has shared the good news of Jesus with this Ethiopian. And as they're going along, the Ethiopian says this. See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. If baptism was something other than immersion, why in the world did they go down into the water getting themselves and their clothes or maybe not their clothes if they took their clothes off first? It might have just been two of them and so they just took the clothes off. I don't know. But why would they go to that effort to go down into the water if just a little sprinkling would do? But not only is that what the word baptized means and not only that the way it was practiced, but 
It's the picture of the gospel. Baptism is meant to be a visual portrayal of what has happened in someone's life. Remember, it's the outward expression of the inward transformation. Well, what has happened when someone has repented and believed? They have died to their sin and they have been raised to walk in newness of life. The old is gone and the new has come. For everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Baptism pictures a death and burial and a resurrection to new life. And that's what has happened in our hearts. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we find Paul saying these words. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Not only is it a picture of death and burial, but it's a picture of total cleansing. We don't just need a little cleansing from our sin. We need to be completely washed And so, again, it is a right picture of the gospel, the inward transformation that has happened. And we have this question. Well, then who then should be baptized? It's a very important question. We want to make sure we understand who it is. I can simply say this. It is those who have received the word. Well, what does it mean to receive the word? It means to repent and believe in Jesus for salvation. Who is supposed to be baptized? All those, but only those who have repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Believers in Christ are to be baptized. How can we give an outward portrayal of an inward transformation if that inward transformation hasn't yet happened in our lives? This sets us apart from other churches. This sets us apart from other denominations. Because we believe that baptism is by immersion, then it would be cruel for us to immerse an infant. And because baptism in the New Testament is always preceded by the preaching of the gospel, and then by the reception of the gospel, we would say that a person must be of age to be able to understand the gospel and receive the gospel. Oh, I could go. Acts chapter 2 here in verse 41. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 18. I was going to go there, but for the sake of time, I'm not. I'll be glad to share these verses with you later. In each of these places, we see the gospel being preached. It specifically says that either the people believed or they received the word. And then it says all of them were baptized. Now, sometimes it says their whole house was baptized. But it doesn't mean that everyone in their house, whether they had repented and believed or not, were baptized. That implies that their whole house had repented and believed. Because it says right before baptism in all of those verses that all those who were baptized had first received the word. They heard the word. They understood it. And they believed. And so we baptize only those who have trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So here's what our church believes because we believe this is what the Bible teaches. We believe that if you were sprinkled as an infant that and therefore you weren't a believer, um, then we would not call that baptism because the Bible says baptism happens to believers. By the same token, if you were baptized by immersion, which is so redundant to say, because really I'm saying if you were immersed by immersion, uh, but if you were baptized by immersion, but you had not yet trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, we would equally say you haven't been baptized. And we simply say that because the Bible, the clear teaching of God's word is that baptism is for those who have repented and believed in Jesus And to be baptized means to be immersed. It's not because we think that our opinion is better than anyone else's. It's simply because that is the clear teaching of God's word. And we want to stand on that. Now, let me let me say something and repeat something I said a minute ago. Before we went to point number one, which was receive the word by repentance of faith. I said this is the most important response. Baptism is not the hinge on which our salvation rests. The hinge on which our salvation rests is whether or not we have trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So here's what that means. If someone 
who disagrees with me or our church about baptism, except for one disagreement. I'll mention that in a second. And yet at the same time is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. then I would say that that person is my brother or sister in Christ. And I look forward to worshiping around the throne with them in glory one day. Now, I said there was one caveat. If someone, and there are some churches that believe this and preach this, if someone thinks that they were saved by being baptized, then I would say, no, you have to repent and believe in Christ. But if someone has trusted in Christ, they are looking to what Jesus did on the cross for their salvation, regardless of what they believe about baptism, I would say, hey, you're my brother and sister in Christ. And yet... Because we believe this is what the clear teachings of Scripture is. This is what our church believes. It's why, it's why our church is called a Baptist church. And I say that unapologetically. I don't say it with arrogance. I just say that because that's what Scripture teaches. But I want to give you one final response, and this one's going to be real quick. Not only does he call them to repent and believe, but notice what happens at the end. It says that those who believed were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Notice another response to the gospel. They were cut to the heart. They repented and believed. They were baptized. And then they devoted themselves to growing as followers of Jesus by joining a local church. And that's our third response. Devote yourself to growing as a follower of Jesus by joining a local church. Notice that as soon as they believed and were baptized, they are gathering together, sitting under the teaching of the word, participating in the fellowship of believers, enjoying the breaking of bread, which in a general sense means they were eating together, which was a sign of genuine fellowship in this day and time and partly in our time as well. But it also refers to the breaking of bread and the Lord's Supper and the prayers. They were uniting together with one another, with one another in, in prayer. Things that God calls the church to do. Immediately, they were obedient to the command that we find later in the book of Hebrews that says, do not neglect gathering together. You say, well, Zach, I, I see that they were gathering together, but I mean, were they actually joining a church? Like actually putting their name down on a list of people and, 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 and saying these are the members, that they actually have church membership? Well, let me answer that question by simply telling you what we see in Scripture. We see the church in Scripture selecting its leaders. Well, if there's not membership, how do they know who gets a vote and who the leaders are going to be? In Scripture, we see the church settling a theological dispute. And it was the whole church, not just some leaders. The whole church agreed on it. Well, how do they know who gets to cast a vote on what they believe, what the church believes? We see the whole church sending out missionaries. Well, who gets to be a part of that if we don't actually know who belongs to the church? We see the church removing members from the church who are unwilling to repent of sin. Well, how in the world can you be removed from being a member if you weren't ever added in the first place? And finally... We see elders in the church, that is the office of elder, pastor, overseer, commanded to shepherd those under his care. Well, how in the world does he know who is under his care if there is not some sort, and there's lots of freedom in how this happens, but some sort of membership in the church? And this is why baptism and church membership are often linked together. We only want to baptize those who are genuine followers of Jesus. And genuine followers of Jesus will have a desire to join and participate in a local church, just like the believers in the New Testament did. And so if someone says, I've repented and believed, and now I want to be baptized, but you know what? I'm not interested in committing myself to a local church, even though I know the Bible teaches that I should. And I would have to at least consider, if not question, whether or not that person had actually been saved, because a person who's been saved has a desire to follow the commands of Christ. We don't always do that perfectly, but as soon as we realize that we're not doing it perfectly, there's an area of sin in our lives. We repent and we change by God's grace. So not because church membership or even baptism is necessary for salvation do we say that it is a response. The primary response is to repent and believe 
But if someone has repented and believed and has truly been saved, then they're going to want to obey the teachings of Scripture as soon as they understand what those teachings are. And Scripture calls those who are saved to be baptized and to fellowship in a formal way with the body of Christ. Now, you've been very, very patient as we've looked at these responses. I want to tell you something. Are you listening? Jesus Christ came to this earth. And he, though having never sinned, went to a cross, a criminal's cross. And on that cross, he bled and died, taking the wrath of God that you and I deserve upon himself. That's what happened when Jesus was on the cross. God was pouring out punishment upon his son. And then, having paid the full price for sin, he rose up from the dead, triumphant over sin and Satan and death. And he is willing and able to save all those who receive this message in repentance and faith. And for those who do, he calls them to be baptized and he calls them to participate, join and participate local church so that they can keep growing as a disciple of Jesus. That's the truth of the gospel. Now, let me ask a question. I wonder today if any of you in this room, not because of anything that I have said simply, but because God's Word has been proclaimed and the Holy Spirit is here speaking these truths into your heart, I wonder today if any of you have been cut to the heart. It's not something I can do. If in this moment you say, yeah, that, that's me. I am cut to the heart. I'm convicted that in some way I'm not, have, have not been obedient to Christ. Maybe you haven't repented and believed in Jesus for salvation. You've been trusting in your good works or you've been trusting in something else. Maybe you've been baptized and you never trusted in Jesus Christ and so you've been trusting in your baptism to save you. Maybe you've joined a church and you're trusting in your church membership to save you, but you've never trusted in Jesus Christ and repented of your sins. You say, you say, I'm cut to the heart because I haven't been obedient to receive the word. Maybe you're cut to the heart because you haven't been obedient to be baptized. Maybe you're cut to the heart because you're not wanting to commit yourself to a local body of believers and really commit yourself to doing life with them and growing alongside them. I wonder today if you would be so bold to ask this question. I'm cut to the heart. What do I do? What shall we do? The Bible says, repent and believe. Be baptized. And fellowship with the body of believers. I'm just going to ask if you would, if you've got your Bible still open, just close that for a moment. And... Our musicians are going to come and they're going to play. I'm just going to ask us just to be quiet and still before the Lord for a moment. Would you just bow your heads? Close your eyes. And I just want you to think about you and the Lord right now. Listen, I, I know what time it is. I know I preach a little bit longer than I normally do. But I also want you to know why I'm not preaching from 1 Peter today. It's not because I don't like 1 Peter. It's not because I don't think that God's led me to preach through that book. But over the past few weeks, God has just been burdening my heart to preach what, what I've just preached. And I feel like I've been putting it off and I couldn't put it off anymore. 
I don't know why God wanted me to preach this and preach this passage and just preach, just pick up right in the middle of Acts chapter 2 today. But I can't help but think that, that unless it was just Him wanting me to exercise obedience and faith in Him, that perhaps it is that someone that He led here today needed to be cut to the heart. Not by my words, but by the Word of God. So I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. If today you know, whether everyone here knows it too or everyone here thinks that you're saved, you know that you're not. You know that you have not repented of sin and trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. You are living continually under the guilt and shame of your sin. I just want to give you an opportunity to to respond in your heart to the Lord. If that's you today, would you just, just tell the Lord right now what He already knows, that you're a sinner. Just tell Him what He already knows. And then thank Him for sending Jesus Christ to save you. Tell Him thank you for that. And then just ask Him, Say, God, I don't deserve to even be able to ask you this question, but God, would you come into my life because of what Jesus did on the cross and save me from my sin? I turn from it today and I trust in Jesus. And I believe in Him and I want you to save me right now. Perhaps you're here today and you've trusted in Christ, but you've never been obedient to to baptism the way the Bible explains it to us. Maybe today you need to, in your heart right now, say, God, thank you for convicting me of this and I want to be obedient. Just like we've seen these today, be obedient. I want to be obedient. You make that commitment to the Lord that you're going to pursue baptism. Maybe today you need to trust in Jesus Christ alone. for salvation and be baptized, you need to join a church. Maybe you've been saved and even baptized, but you haven't done that third response. You need to join a local church. You need to commit yourself. And so right now in your heart between you and the Lord, you say, God, help me to take that step of obedience and and join a church. Maybe it's this church. Maybe it's another church that preaches the gospel. But you want to be obedient to this response that we see in God's Word. Heavenly Father, I just ask in this moment that every single person here would be obedient to You. Father, whatever that looks like for them, Father, I pray that today this room would be full of obedient people. God, there is nothing, nothing, no opinion of someone else, no past belief that we've held, No lunch that's waiting on us. There's nothing else that's more important in this moment than that we are obedient to You, Father, because we either walk out of this place having been obedient to Your Word and what Your Spirit is calling us to do, or we walk out of this place in disobedience to You. And God, help us if that be the case. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.